And we're live. Hello, everybody. And welcome to History's Greatest Idiots, the show in which we go back through the, the corridors of history and discover the largest, most significant mistakes in human history made by gigantic idiots and give you lessons from these incidents so that you can learn from them and never repeat those mistakes again. But who are we kidding? We're humans. We like fucking up. It's fun. And we learn from it sometimes, but these people don't because they're idiots. Joining me as ever is my amazing co-host, Derek. Derek, how are you doing, my man? I'm doing awesome. It's it's getting warm. Uh, yes. Enjoyed a whole weekend day by the pool yesterday, so that was pretty nice. Didn't get in nice. the pool because so it was cold. So do you cold. have a pool at your place? I do not, but uh, my wife's parents have a pool, and we they... got to go hang out over there. Nice. Yeah. And I I remember you saying like uh, quite a while ago, you've got really good, like you're on really good terms with your in-laws and you're like hanging out with them and stuff, which is great because it should always, you should always try and, you know, get on well with people that you aren't directly related with, but actually to be on like to really like them is, is a really nice bonus, especially in Arizona where having a swimming pool is probably like <laughs> one of the greatest assets to any property you can have. I'd imagine. Oh, it was, it was definitely a nice day. And the kids yeah. played and got oh, all tired sweet. out. And yeah, it was you had to hang out and have a good time. That's and really good. Yeah, it's definitely nice, like you say, to have a good relationship with them. Because I couldn't imagine having the ones that are described on some of the shows and movies. <laughs> <laughs> that would suck. And some of the people we've talked about where like their upbringing and stuff is, is kind of directly correlated to the relatives or, or something like that. So, yeah. Um, I, I I completely agree with you. It's really nice to have a, a really good relationship with you and yours, and I, I I I do as well. I'm very lucky. I have a wonderful mother and father-in-law, so I'm I'm lucky. Um, I've we've just come back from from holiday um, in in the Cotswolds for my 41st birthday, so that was was really nice. I was able to relax and recharge my batteries and get into the stage in life where. I'm feeling the need for a holiday is more and more important in my life because I can feel the will to work and live drain out of me so quickly before the holiday. But as long as I know there's an end in sight, okay, if I can just get to this holiday, I'll be all right after it. I'll be okay. But like before that, I'm like, my brain slowly starts to fall out of my fucking ears after a while it's just, <laughs> i don't get enough sleep work so hard and yeah so holidays work for me now in the past it was like oh it's a nice break but now it's like this is vital to my existence so yeah i you know i think it's been a while since i've had a, a legitimate one where i did anything so i think it, it right. might maybe my brain fell out already <laughs> that could explain a lot of things holiday? yeah <laughs> um <laughs> Usually we go out to California and visit the beach, hang out oh, either nice. San Diego or LA area. We really did nice. a lot of Disney trips. I bet. Yeah. You see, the thing is, as much as I love like doing the cultural holiday thing, like going, because I've been to Tuscany and fucking all over the place and seen ru ruins and all of these like amazing historical sites. And, you know, I live for that shit. I live for history. A part of me really enjoys theme parks and the complete sensory experience you get from them you know like when you go into a haunted mansion when you can smell burning embers and you can hear stuff and it's like i live for that experience not necessarily the ride so much because of my crohn's disease i may end up shitting myself on the ride but which is never fun. it's a risk um but, <laughs> but like 
that experience, I, I found real joy in that. And I know people are cynical and like, oh, it's Disney World taking over the world, globalization, blah, blah, blah. I really enjoy it. So uh, good for you. I've never been to the Anaheim one. I've only ever been to the Florida one. See, I've never been to the Florida one. There you go. We can swap experiences. Mind you, I haven't been to the Florida one in like 16, 17 years. That's what we do. When we do History's Greatest Idiots live, we make sure that we do one in Orlando and one in Anaheim. Yes, we'll we'll sell our souls to Disney and we will record from one of their theme parks as a a requisite of signing the enormous contract we will no doubt get from them. I mean, if if they bought Marvel (laughs) for $4 billion, right, we've got to be worth at least $100 surely, you know? Uh, Yeah, I mean, people have spent billions on, uh, well... Nothing. Off Fox. <laughs> yeah, literally. I actually uh, just no. got to the point where Rupert Murdoch put 125 million into Theranos, which didn't even exist, really. <laughs> so. I'm watching that show too. It's so amazing. I'm watching that and uh, We Crash, the We Work. I'm thing. saving that one. Oh, it's so fucking good. Um, <laughs> I can't hasn't... stand Geraldetto, but it's so fucking good. Oh my god. Yeah. That's, Really good shows at the moment. If you want to watch the downfall of companies and people we've covered in history's greatest idiots, you got we were uh, we crash. You've got um, the Theranos thing, which is the dropout, and there's like another one. I can't remember off the top of my head what it is, but there's there's stuff out there. It's like a gold rush for failures in the marketplace. So really, really, you know, go ahead and watch. It's super helpful. It is. It tells you everything <laughs> you need to know to not fuck up in in this world and uh my favorite part is we had this debate initially uh elizabeth holmes's voice absolutely 100 percent bullshit so we've right. established that in the show and we thought that at the time and uh, people were like no no it's just the way she talks i'm like no that is bullshit i'm a voice actor i know when people are lying in their vocal <laughs> ranges that is not real and sure enough she's like i'm gonna be authoritative and talk like this and yeah so out. much deception in there like i know almost unintentionally natural i know yeah it's they weird. kind of they kind of fooled themselves after a while oh yeah yeah anyway since we're talking about fraudsters um derek i know you gave me a hint before the show you told me it was a uh, and I've, I've kind of misspelled a little bit in the description here it was a um a fraud a female fraudster in the crypto space have i got that wrong again that is correct Amazing. I got it right. Okay. Uh, (laughs) So can you tell us about this week's idiot, please? Okay. She was born on May 30th, 1980 in Sofia, Bulgaria. About our age then. Yes. Which, you know, that's the thing I've got to say. It kind of makes me feel bad that so many people my age are making all these massive waves and billions (laughs) of dollars and running off with it. And I've never managed with it. I've never managed to ruin anyone's life. Yet. I know and you're just sat there earning a good wage, not running away with it. What's wrong with you, man? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I don't try hard enough. Maybe. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so she immigrates to Germany with her family at the age of 10. Okay. And there's not a whole lot about her upbringing out there. It was just general under the radar, same as you or I. Right. Which yeah. makes it even more of a trip. Mm. It does, um, like, show back up with her education. Um, Her history really starts when she earned her PhD in either European or international private law from the University of Constance in Germany 
in oh, 2005. Cool. Right. Now, yeah. I say either or because there's so many different sources and mm -hmm. there was an equal amount <laughs> that said private and equal amount that said international. Sure. So yeah. <clears throat> anyway, she got a PhD in law. She gets a doctor's in front of her name. Um, it's, you know, everything you hope for in your child's life Absolutely. on a good track. Good yeah. education. Uh, gets out of there. Gets a good job with a management uh, consultancy, McKinsey and Company in their oh, nice. Eastern European office and just doing well until sometime in about 2010 or 2011, she moved into business with her father and acquired a company illegally. And shortly after the acquisition, the company declared bankruptcy <sighs> and Lord. under dubious circumstances. I don't know the name of the company or the circumstances. What I was able to find out is that she was convicted in 2012 and sentenced to a suspended sentence Lucky. of one year and two months for her involvement Oof. in managing that business in delaying insolvency for some takeover. It's, it's weird. Anyway, it was fraud. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Big time. She got a slap on the wrist. And yeah. in 2000, you know, that 2012, she was convicted. And then in 2013, after mm. the slap on the wrist, Mm -hmm. She moved into a multi-level marketing operation. Amazing. They always do this. <laughs> Progressing. It's yeah. I, it's like there's somebody out there that laid a pathway of how to do this and wrote a book, and there's a check marks <laughs> you get to go through. Um, oh, my God. But the operation was called Bitcoin, and, Ugh. you know, multi-level marketing scams are legal pyramid schemes, Ponzi schemes. Mm. But I'm I'm thinking at the at this point in her life, 2012, she's got that conviction. She's into yep. multi-level marketing that's failing. She's going over to the dark side. Mm -hmm. And in 2014, she founds this conglomerate called OneCoin or One okay. Life, right. which was a network marketing company, multi-level marketing, started yep. with a Sebastian Greenwood and Nigel Allen and her own brother. And it was a complex network of companies that were based in offshore accounts okay. and shell companies that were in some of the more easy to target nations like the United States and United sure. Kingdom. Yeah. <clears throat> and this is 2014. It's a new okay. type of cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of people are into the crypto scene no. in 2014. Bitcoin is the big player. But yeah, people... and even even Bitcoin in 2014, people were like, "Ooh, be very careful with this." Like, right. Like... I wasn't. Sh I'm still not sure. It's not just big. Some <laughs> some big like prank by like hackers to just sure, take I mean, everybody's money. I mean, it could be. To be honest, that we 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 really don't know. But like at that time people were incredibly unsure about like cryptocurrency in general because it was just it was so new and it was completely i mean it still is completely unregulated um that no one really trusted it to the point where i remember a story about 50 cent got paid for i can't remember how he what he got paid for but the company paid him a little bit in cash and then gave him like thousands of bitcoins bitcoin oh right dang. and he okay. was like sure whatever i'll take it i don't know what the fuck this is but i'll have it thank you very much and then like 10 years later or five years later or whatever it is they're worth millions of dollars oh 
and he sells them all and he's like i'm no longer bankrupt congratulations me wow amazing so well, that worked out yeah it did so if i guess if you're at a stage in life where people are offering you free shit uh like or they can't pay you fully but they'll offer you this thing like if you get some money out of it to cover your expenses and make a little bit of money that's fine if it's like something like bitcoin just just take it you know you never know how much it'll be worth in the future so if it was one coin though it would be worth nothing nothing <laughs> <laughs> might as well flushed um, it down the toilet so at first like you said most people were hesitant to throw their mm. life savings into this non-traditional non-proven yeah. one coin but she was out there pitching it and you know collaborating with celebrities not necessarily 50 cent caliber but there was a <laughs> Bebe Pepelexo something I don't know how do you say it maybe is she a pop pop star baby yeah yeah maybe. yeah yeah I know I know her yeah she's I don't really listen to her music but I'm aware of her well, she played one of the shows for the the thing uh, anyway I'll get to that later okay. but so she's out there deeming one coin as safe and easy to use and it's perfect mm. for t- first timers it's this new blockchain crypto that's going to be the Bitcoin killer and eventually it's <laughs> it's going to replace Bitcoin as the dominant crypto, even though she's saying it's using blockchain, but it doesn't actually use Ah. blockchain, which I don't know what blockchain is, so I wouldn't know. Uh, It's kind of of inherent security, I think, in in whatever you're dealing with. Um, But yeah, to say that and then not use it, like there should be red flags going off immediately in this. Right. Yes. And... That's the thing, though. Nobody knows what's going on behind the scene. Kind of like um, that's another new good documentary. Don't believe no one. The the Jerry Cotton Quadranga CX crypto exchange scandal in Canada. Don't I'll cover him later. One. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. I, I, that sounds like something I'd be interested in watching actually, because I got a little crypto and it ain't doing so good. But uh, yeah, I got a little I, crypto. I lost quite a bit on my Dogecoin. Oh. And I, I was trying to be a hodler and I gave up and was like, no, I'm going to put it in oil and gas right now. <laughs> Smart decision. <laughs> I know it's horrible, but yeah. why not? Money when you can, money. man. Yes. You know, get yes. the money back that you're going to spend at the pumps. Exactly. So. Good Lord. <laughs> um. Anyway, by now, most people I'm sure that are listening have figured out I'm talking about uh, Dr. Ruja Ignatov. I think I said that right. Okay. The crypto queen. Uh, I guess that's what she was. I hadn't heard of her until one other documentary I was listening to. But anyway, Uh so she gets investors to buy packages that give them tokens that could be used to mine one coin. Okay. Sounds super fucking complex when I already don't understand how blockchain mining and Bitcoin stuff works. So you add in these packages and stuff. Yes. And they displayed their own price of one coin on their website. And although the website showed the currency soaring in value from, uh, let's see, 43 cents or so in 2015 to over 25 pounds in 2019. Okay. It wasn't based on any retransactions at all. It was <laughs> completely determined by the people that were running one coin. Oh, so it was fictional, basically. Right. Yes. <laughs> The ownership of the currency was stored on a regular database instead of a blockchain. And the uh, underpinning other digital currencies is where it was invested into. But the people that wanted to take their money out were just paid, uh, you guessed it, by the money that was flowing in. 
It's a Ponzi scheme. Correct. That didn't take long. <laughs> that did not take long to degenerate into a Ponzi scheme, did it? Holy shit. No, in the first six <laughs> months of 2016, OneCoin attracted over 30 million euros. Yeah. And Dr. Ruja went from being a consultant to a celebrity, high mm. demand uh, entrepreneur, speaker, mm-hmm. businesswoman, like overnight. Yeah. Did it sound, uh, sounding she, an awful lot like Elizabeth Holmes at this point. Like, uh, look at this powerful businesswoman. Isn't she amazing? She's doing all of this great. And she's a woman. And she's doing all of this. And she's she's a woman. And she has woman stuff. And, you know, and then he's like, patronizing actually, no, just, to you. I know, yeah, that's, and that's Patronizing. always the angle, isn't it? It's like, look, here's a woman doing business stuff. And it's like, oh, fucking hell. <laughs> Feels... Like, there are so many female CEOs, but that's the angle every journalist takes initially. And then when it comes to someone like Elizabeth Holmes and this woman, when they're exposed, the first response is, oh, you've damaged women in business. Like, no, you put them on a pedestal as a woman in business. Like there are millions of other women out there at incredibly high levels in the business world doing absolutely fine. Just these people are fucking idiots. It's completely separated from their sex. So and that's, do here's that. the thing. Maybe they should pick better women in business to cover yeah. and be all in depth on. Maybe there loads perhaps out there. successful ones. <laughs> exactly. Just because they look and sound like, um, fucking Apple CEOs of the past doesn't mean they're actually good at business. Just go with the ones that have got a proven track record, for Christ's sake. Anyway, sorry, carry on, rant over. Okay, so Dr. Ruja is wandering around the globe, addressing adoring fans in Dubai and Singapore. Nice. And in 2016, she goes out uh, on the stage at Wembley to Girl on Fire by Alicia Keys. Oh, and a off. big old spectacular fireworks <laughs> display. And this what? is all just to cement in the legitimacy of OneCoin and the followers. And, you know, it's right. got to be real. If they're, if all of this celebration is happening, it's got to be real. So over the top, yeah. it's real. She licensed music and paid for fireworks. This is legit. And it, well, I mean, imagine the money it would, ha- it would take to, to rent out Wembley, though. Oh, fuck. I mean... It'll be the new Wembley as well. One of the, in, a lot of people don't talk about this. The old Wembley was falling down, right? There were people going to FA Cup matches and all this stuff, and like bits of the building were falling on them. Well, so they were like, good. maybe we should replace this 110 year old stadium that's that's been holding massive <laughs> events this whole time. So the, all the events kind of moved to Cardiff in the Millennium Stadium while they rebuilt it. And also another reason they did this is because the charges that you can now put on people attending Wembley went up like tenfold. So oh. re- renting out Wembley went up tenfold. The ticket prices went up tenfold. All of this stuff, like helping Wembley PLC. We're talking to rent out Wembley, a 65,000, 70,000 all-seater stadium. Millions, tens of millions probably to host the event crazy money i wonder how much she made on the event though probably oh. a lot i'd imagine if it's a crypto event i mean tax write-off there you go right well and it brings in the legitimacy of it yes and it you know it's at a place that people have heard of there's yeah. this hubbubaloo going on it's just huge it's the you see this stuff for you know famous celebrities yeah and you know, say like Putin in Russia did one like this. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> anyway, right after that, she shows up on the cover of Forbes magazine, and right. that 
cover was in fact just an advertisement in the Bulgarian Forbes magazine that she had her diehard investors out there showing friends. Look at she's on the cover of Forbes magazine. Okay, uh, sure. buy this stuff; it's real, <laughs> and it's it works. It works. More yeah. and more people are getting hooked. They're recruiting their friends and family. It's getting kind of yeah. culty, even. Some yeah, just say. like every MLM, it's slightly culty. You know. Oh yeah, man! I had somebody try to bring me into Amway once. Oh, thank God! You didn't get the, one of the oldest cults in super the world. <laughs> oh, it was. I'm not even gonna get into that. It was weird. No, no, no. I'm glad you didn't get into Amway. Holy shit! That was around <laughs> when I was going. When I first came to America, as an, I, think, I guess I was like eight or something. So that would have been, fuck me, that would have been 1989. Um, Amway was a thing then, and people talked about it, and like I was like. So it's like because I was a child, I didn't know. I was just like, oh, it's a business. No, it's a fucking con. Uh, yeah. And it's been around for like 40 fucking years or whatever. So yeah, crazy. It's, it's a bit, it's a long con. Yeah. And, and it's somehow been legitimized and legalized. Yeah. So amazing. Much like these appear to be when they yeah. go off the hook. So anyway, uh, yeah. she's got these diehard investors getting their friends and family like a cult or an Amway. And promising commissions and bigger end payouts if you recruit more people because, you know, pyramid scheme. And it works. And as the Bitcoin prices are going up, her mass market alternative Mm. continued to grow as well, which I already said was just them saying what the hell they wanted to say. Exactly. In early October 2016, just like four months after that London appearance, Mm. something really super interesting happened. This blockchain expert named Bjorn... Burkick. Okay. I'm sorry, dude. He was called by a <laughs> recruitment agent and there was this neat job offer. There's this cryptocurrency startup from Bulgaria that's looking for a CTO and okay. he'd get a car and an apartment and a huge salary of 250,000 pounds a year. And nice. all he had to do for this startup was create a blockchain. Right. And then he said, well, wait, what kind <laughs> no, of cryptocurrency... Uh, doesn't have a blockchain already. Exactly. And you said it was running for a while, and the recruiter said, yep, it was running for a while, but it doesn't have a blockchain. Uh, We'll explain it later. And dude was like, (laughs) no, thank you. (laughs) And Bjorn became one of two whistleblowers that started to draw attention to the scam, and authorities started to investigate uh, Raja and OneCoin and found that they never used blockchain. They used that to put it in this one database here and figure out who who to pay out with the incoming money game. So it turns out one of the biggest mistakes that they made in not getting more money was trying to hire somebody to legitimize it and make it real. Jesus Christ. If you're doing that, I know they're going for a guy who's like established in the world. I think the smartest way to do it because they know what they're doing. They need to get a blockchain. They need to, they, they didn't go for the right person. You need to find someone who either A, is notoriously dodgy in the world or like a bit on the dodgy side, or you need to find someone who's like solo levels, just starting out. That there's no way A, anyone believes them if they whistleblow, or B, you know, there's a high chance they might take it because you're offering them a huge salary, a flat, you know, car, whatever they're likely to take it despite the fact it's a massive well it's legal you know so um, for now for now but yeah like <laughs> that was their mistake if they'd gone after someone who was a bit of a noob 
um, or someone who was a bit dodgy, they probably would have gotten away with it. But the fact that they went for this guy who had a reputation and who wanted to keep that reputation, they fucked themselves, basically. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they did. And yeah. and while he was whistleblowing and getting investigations starting, uh, Dr. Ruja, Raja, Ruja, I don't know how to say it. It's R-U-J-A. Ignatova. Uh, I can say the last name. I don't know why. Go for it. Yeah. Um, so Ignatova, Dr. Ignatova. God, it sounds like a concentration camp person. It does. Anyway, so she's traveling around the world in her yacht uh, again in Dubai and Singapore and filling up arenas and pulling out new investors. And the, the one coin is growing fast. Right. More and more investors are throwing stuff into there. And she's spending her new fortune by buying multimillion dollar properties in mm. Bulgaria and in London and in the Black Sea. Uh, sure. She got a resort, Sozapol. She bought some property and nice. then throwing huge parties on yachts. As like you do. Yeah, as you know, you do when, <laughs> when you're you've got money a made burn. up billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> when, when you're spending someone else's money. Exactly. I was going to say that this is <laughs> like, it's not necessarily made up, but it's definitely there, but it sure as fuck isn't hers. Right. Uh, yeah. So that's that's so harsh. And you do see it's it's Wolf of Wall Street stuff, basically, yeah. isn't it? That's, that's the lifestyle you're describing here. Only um, she's a doctor. So there's like that added, added level of legitimacy to it. So. She's a doctor of international private law. Jesus. Right. And she didn't see this coming. How does this happen? <laughs> anyway, despite her successful facade, there's all the trouble going and She's trying to address it with like uh, a long promised exchange on how it's being kept and what the delay is and how investors right. are going to get their money back to, to kind of quell their concerns. Sure. It, she sets up this big, large gathering of the European OneCoin uh, promoters in Lisbon, Portugal for October of 2017. Okay. It's all set up. It's going going off as planned and then she didn't show up ah uh. <laughs> like okay ghosted him check the flights to venezuela um somewhere else oh. anyway they oh. thought maybe she's been kidnapped or that the sure. banks actually because she spun this you know as you do when you're making stuff up man they're gonna be out to get me because i'm yeah. full of shit and the banks are gonna take me down and and yeah. like Theranos, Quest Labs is coming to get me. Yeah, there's always a, a boogeyman. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it wasn't a boogeyman because uh, she went underground. FBI records show that on October 25th, 2017, just two weeks before the Lisbon No Show, she boarded a Rainair flight from Sofia, Bulgaria to Athens, and Ooh. then went completely off the radar. And that's the last time mm. anyone ever saw or heard from Dr. Ruja. Holy shit. So let, that's an interesting destination, Athens. Um, Greece was kind of, it was a bit of a hub in the Cold War for like really intense clandestine stuff. Really? Um, yeah. Athens was Athens and Yugoslavia and places like that when you know the, the the Cold War was still going on there was a lot of activity around there because you could get to Turkey you could get to Cyprus which is like has weird extradition stuff and yeah there are a lot of connections 
flights wise to really kind of, kind of dodgy parts of the world from Greece. Yeah. So I'm wondering. So she did a lot of business in America. She did a lot of business in the UK. Um, and she's probably, I mean, she's definitely on Interpol's radar, right? She's probably oh, yeah. warrants out for her all over the place. And there's only a few countries she could go to that would not immediately go, no, get the fuck out. We don't want you here. We don't want Interpol on our doorstep. So you got to question who it would be. Dubai? And Singapore? Dubai, Singapore. That's that you can definitely hide there. Then you're all thinking the places, about places like touring. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> then you've got places like Iran, you've got like North Korea, Venezuela, and like some there's there's weird extradition treaties like Nepal has really weird extradition treaties. Like they won't extradite people to to pretty much anyone, no matter what they wanted for. It's very odd. So hmm. I'd imagine there's a connection there. She's landed in Athens and she's immediately got an out of dodge. She might have gone to Cyprus, she might have gone to one of these countries or whatever it is, but that's that's the last time anyone saw or heard from her. That's amazing. So she's gotten away with it essentially at this point. She's gone, and nobody knows if she's hiding or dead. She did have a a, a daughter that was okay. just real young at the time, and her husband, mm -hmm. who actually has been cleared and is still practicing law in Germany. Holy he shit! Has been cleared and not shown to know that she was actually up to anything. He thought she was a legitimate <laughs> businesswoman. Wow! So she um, ditched her, her family. Yes. Well, sort Fuck. of. Well, yes, absolutely. Yeah, because she left her brother in charge when she left. And oh. in early 2019, the U.S. authorities charged her with several fraud related crimes in oh absentia. And yeah. they charged her brother, who was convicted of fraud and money laundering, along with a number of other people connected to the scheme. So they went down. She's off running around. And when the dust all settled so far this year, because I actually have been holding off on doing her in right. case she gets caught okay um, but between 2014 and 2017 when she disappeared one coin right. took in at least four billion dollars in <sighs> investor money and some believe the final amount could actually be as high as 12 billion dollars and nobody's getting shit back she's gone no <clears throat> she's gone and like i mean obviously like you said a lot of this went on houses and yachts and mansions and shit like that and all of that will probably be seized and used as collateral for creditors and whatever else but i wonder how much because obviously crypto it's like it, it, the, the, they can trace where you're accessing it right there's it's very difficult to kind of find out who owns it but there are ways of finding people who use crypto right i wonder how much of that money she made off with and how much of it she's going to have to use to bribe authorities to not rat her out to interpol and say hey she's over here come oh, on yeah She's well, not paid us a million dollars a year this year. See, so, and, and here's the thing, though: her crypto mm. wasn't real crypto. So, how much can you mm. change? Can you track once it gets into that single data point? That's a good point. And really I know, calm. like that, Gerald Cotton and mm. his partner were basically putting it in other real exchanges, investor money, and trying to pay it back, type of with that. And then he faked yeah. his own death. So, I mean, this is about the same, I guess. Yeah. Holy shit! Uh, was that the uh, the guy who uh, the crypto guy who went off the map, the radar when like he went over some one of the crypto guys went over to India yep. or somewhere? Yes, yeah. and said he died of complications from Crohn's disease. Yes, sir. And I was like, 
fuck off. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have nearly died from complications from Crohn's disease, but it takes a long time. Yeah, not this a weekend trip. Yeah, this ain't a, this ain't no. Oh my heart. You know, this is years of malnutrition, de degeneration of muscles, like bones, shit, your stomach eating itself alive. That does not happen overnight. So immediately I was like, he's gone with the money, right? So. Well, looking into that, I found out that India is a hotbed right now for fake death uh, exit scam oh, wow. help. Like, I didn't know that. Holy shit. I, I have a plan now. Oh, yeah, Can't even get a ounce of it gas right there. Man. I don't know how I'm going to get to India. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Goa for a, for a he trip. He died in India. How did he get there? I don't know. Uh, don't ask any questions. <laughs> they never found the body. Uh, wow. So she's gone. Yes. It's weird. This is, I mean, obviously she she's an idiot, right? She's running a, a fucking barefaced Ponzi scheme. <laughs> There's no yeah. two ways about it. It is one of the most basic Ponzi schemes. The most amazing part of this story for me is that she got away with it. And I mean, we never know. She might turn up in five years, ten years. Who knows? It might be a whole like mysterious missing person. It might be like he's that guy Maybe that jumped out of the plane, shit loads of money. Oh, DB Cooper. DB Cooper, or in this yeah. country, we had Lord Lucan, okay. who murdered his nanny and then fled, and no one ever found him. Uh, oh. Yeah, there's a whole fucking deal. Um, so, yeah, um, I I can't I kind of can't rank her too high because she kind of got away with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's an MLM, which was also a Ponzi scheme. So it's like. They should have been on this straight away. If if you if you're going to commit a fraud, and we'll talk about committing really bad fraud in a minute, but um, if you're going to commit a fraud, you kind of have to cover your tracks well. The one thing I will say for Bernie Madoff, no one saw it coming. Nobody saw this coming except for a couple of journalists who investigated it. This guy was at the absolute top of his industry for decades. He was pulling off this scam his entire career, more or less. And not even his sons, who were in the business, had any idea of how it was going on. That's how complicated and complex this con was, right? Eventually, he was found out because he just got too greedy. Like, if he just right. disappeared at 65, 70, he'd have been fine. But he didn't. He just carried on living this ridiculous lifestyle. So if you're going to do a, a financial scam, it has to be complex. This wasn't. So immediately, there's a quite a high score for that. You're just pulling the old Ponzi scheme shit. Right, and you're using oh, the same tactics. Thinly everyone veiled, does. <laughs> really thinly veiled, and you're going around and you're woo throwing a party in Wembley Stadium, and you're off to Dubai and Singapore, and you're like, oh, just get people involved. Like as soon as I hear that shit, I'm like, this is a full on con. No one sells out Wembley Stadium unless they're um, huge musicians, huge comedians, or like it's a live like theatrical event, like they do um, the War of Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds is like a oh, really wow. big thing in this country. They do live theater of that. They have the fucking um, tripods and stuff. It's it's like a whole amazing show. That shit sells out Wembley Stadium, right? But no financial organization is selling out or hiring out Wembley because legitimate financial people do not throw their money around like that. They are super scrimpers and savers and... They're really tight-fisted with their money. That's why most people hate bankers, because they make money and they don't reinvest any of it into to helping everyone else. So 
She gets a high score for that. It's immediately like an 80. To okay. then ditch her fucking family and leave her brother holding uh the, and and all the investors holding the kind of the accountability that's like another five points right there like, that's real fucking scummy horrible shit oh, yeah. right there although her brother is more stupid than her for not also running but yeah, get snatched up in la just taking it <laughs> fucking idiot um <laughs> so there's that but then i have to subtract three points because she's essentially gotten away with it at yeah. this point like if she's I mean, it's going to take a massive thing. It's it's kind of like you you remember like the boys from Brazil thing, right? Where um, undercover agents were hunting ex Nazis who were living in Brazil or Argentina or, or parts of South America. They didn't find these people for decades. Right. Adolf Eichmann and people like that, because they had gone cold after the Second World War. It took them 20, 25 years to find a lot of these guys, right? That's because they had disappeared so effectively that it was nigh on impossible to find them. So we could be looking at a situation like that. She may not be found until me and you are much older. So oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go 82 with this lady. It's definitely idiotic to do like a fucking pon a barefaced Ponzi scheme in this day and age, and an MLM. Like you do an MLM and a Ponzi scheme, one of them's going to fuck you at some point, right? Just don't do one or the other. You know, she don't was fucking... going for complex. <laughs> she was, and she ended up doing paint by numbers complex. But yes. um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think eighty two because at the moment she's she's gone away with it, and millions of millions, possibly billions of dollars. So. Who knows um, if she is found and if she's found kind of like in a really odd way, like, oh, God. Oh, the the, the bad vegan woman. Like, oh. right. The whole thing about they used a credit card to buy a fucking pizza. Like if, if she's found doing that, right, right. I, I'm, I'll immediately add 10 points to her score for sure. <laughs> it's like, fuck that. That is moronic. But at the same time, she's gotten away with it. So I can't, I can't give her too high a score. Not that that's a good thing. So yeah. 82 for the doctor of um <laughs> freakonomics there making her way with everyone's <laughs> money holy shit good for her so from one crypto fraudster to a more traditional fraudster in the banking world i'd like to tell you the story of roberto calvi god's banker this god's banker god's banker it's a great name he should really have been called the pope's banker because that's more accurate but okay. yeah um i'll just preface this by saying that um this is going to go into conspiracy territory which is great i, I, love I kind it. of although i i do like the stories you get with conspiracies are insane and really interesting but i still hold to my belief that conspiracy theories either give humanity either too much or too little credit so like there's there's conspiracies that like have have a certain weight to them of probability you know like elvis still being alive living in loch ness that's bullshit right <laughs> you know okay. the moon landing being fake it's like mm, getting a little bit closer to reality but it's still largely like 95 percent disprovable bullshit right and you've got the 9 11 stuff you've got the jfk stuff princess diana stuff and you're like okay we're getting a little grayer. closer to reality there's something there right then you you know so it's like it's difficult to know but the majority of them are fucking bullshit for the most part um this 
was a conspiracy for the longest time. Everyone knew that the official outcome was a complete, and it was a conspiracy. There's no two ways about it. This shit was, it definitely happened. Everyone knew it for years, and now it's finally been proven. So let me tell you about Roberto Calvi, God's banker. There's not too much information about his early night, early life. I'll start that out now, presumably because the shit that happened to him later was way too interesting to even bother with. Like, oh, he was born in this part of Milan. No, fuck it. Um, but <laughs> what we do know is that he was born in Milan, Italy, on the 13th of April, 1920. His father was the manager of the Banca Commerciale Italiana, Calvi joined the bank after World War II. I think he served. It, there's not, again, not much informa information about that. He would have been in his 20s when that happened. Um, but he moved to Banco Ambrosiano, then Italy's second largest private bank in 1947. I need to okay. give you a bit of insight into uh, the Banco Ambrosi Ambrosiano for a bit of context. Uh, I love the way that you're saying that. <laughs> I spent a summer in Tuscany. I'm quite well informed <laughs> on Italian. Um, in uh, the the bank was formed in Milan in 1896 by Giuseppe Tovini, a Catholic advocate in the Valle Comenica, um, and was named after Saint Ambrose, the fourth century Archbishop of the city. So that's okay. you know Catholic country makes sense to do that, right? Um, Torvini's purpose was to create a Catholic bank as a counterbalance to Italy's lay banks, and its goal was serving. This is what it. This is its kind of insignia, right? Serving moral organizations, pious works, and religious bod bodies set up for charitable aims. Right. So that is like in the world of banking, that is the highest calling right there you are like we only deal with good people we only deal with charitable causes and they literally have the word pious in there pious works so that's like high standard right there right i feel so, like i might be cynical though because i hear that and i'm like oh they want to dodge taxes and shit i know i know <laughs> and like and i guess like that that kind of like wording would have gone over in the early 20th century when people were a little bit more naive, a little bit more trusting. Yeah. But like now, anyone hears that, they're like, fuck it, investigate them straight away. Because we know <laughs> what that means, right? We know this is a front for something. Um, the bank came to be known as the Priest's Bank. One chairman was Franco Ratti, nephew of Pope Pius XI. In the 1960s, the bank began to expand its business, opening an opening holding company in Luxembourg. Immediately dodginess, Luxembourg, Luxembourg doesn't have any taxes. Um, in 1963, which came to be known as Banco Ambrosiano Holding. Uh, this was under the direction of Carlo Canessi, then a senior manager, and from 1965, the chairman. His deputy was Roberto Calvi. In 1971, Calvi became the general manager, and in 1975, he was appointed the chairman after Canessi retired. Calvi expanded Ambrosiano's interests further. These included creating a number of offshore companies in the Bahamas and South America. More dodginess. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. 
<laughs> subtle, like, oh, we're pious. We're going to find a bit of space in Luxembourg and we're going to go to the Bahamas and we're going to South America. It's like, hang on a minute. What fucking slow down? We know what's going on. Stop sneaking around. Stop literally tiptoeing around laws here. Um, uh, a controlling interest in Banca Catolica del Veneto uh, and the funds for the publishing house Rizzoli to finance the Corriel del Serra newspaper, giving Calvi control behind the scenes for the benefit of his associates in P2. We'll get to P2 in a minute. Calvi also um, involved the Vatican Bank Instituto per la Opera di Religione in his dealings and was close to Bishop Paul Marcinicus, the bank's chairman. Ambrosiano also provided funds for political parties in Italy for both the Somoza dictatorship in Nicaragua and its Sanistero Nacional Liberation Front opposition. So they're funding both sides of the Nicaraguan war. I guess there's yeah. money in having a conflict, I suppose. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. We're beginning to see the, the shape of hmm. a conspiracy here. Um, <laughs> there are also rumors that it provided money for solidarity, solidarity in Poland. Um, at Lugano, Banco del Gotardo was the Swiss arm of Banco Ambrosiano. So they're now in Switzerland as well. Oh. So more dodginess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Calvi used his complex network of overseas banks and companies to move money out of Italy to inflate share prices and to secure massive unsecured loans. Oh, getting away from the Uh-oh. piousness here. Yeah, there's yeah. something coming here, isn't there? There's something building. It's, uh, it's God's work. It's, it's he works in mysterious ways. He does, often illegal ways, apparently. Um, <laughs> Most in, mysterious of kinds. Yeah, exactly. Um, in 1978, the Banca d'Italia, which is Italy's central bank, produced a report on Ambrosiano that predicted future disaster and led to criminal investigations. However, soon afterward, the investigating Milanese magistrate, Alessandrini, was killed by a left-wing terrorist organization, while the Bank of Italy official who superintended the investigation, Mar- Mario Sassinelli, found himself imprisoned on charges that were later dismissed. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> it's starting. <Shit>. The craziness <laughs> is starting. This is, I've got to be honest, we've done a lot of crazy stories in the show. This might be the... It's like the dark night at, point this fuck, at points this fucking story. I swear to God. Um, super dirty dealings. He's surrounding himself with super volatile people as well. Like people showing dictators. up dead and in prison. That's not good. Exactly. Yeah. We'll dive into his private life uh, right now, shall we? So okay. <laughs> you've got a, a bit of a background into the bank. You know, they're kind of funding different organizations. Sounds super dodgy. There's money in places that it shouldn't be. Investments where it shouldn't be. Now let's talk about Roberto Calvi. What he does in his, his downtime when he's not with the bank. Calvi okay. was a member of Propaganda Due, or P2 as it was more commonly referred to, a Masonic lodge under the Grand Orient of Italy. It was founded in 1877, but its Masonic charter was withdrawn in 1976, and it transformed into a clandestine, anti-communist, anti-Soviet, anti-leftist, pseudo-Masonic lodge. 
and radical right-wing organization operating in contravention of Article 18 of the Constitution of Italy that bans secret associations. It's a terrorist organization at this point. Ah, I bet you That's... they don't like Jewish people either. Probably. They're ultra-right-wing, so they probably don't like anyone who isn't basically Mussolini at this Good point. Good grief. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also, they got kicked out by the Masons. That's how extreme these fuckers were. You're um, too mysterious. You are too dodgy. <laughs> You're supposed to keep it quiet, for the love of God. In its latter period, during which the lodge was headed by Licio Gelli, P2 was implicated in numerous Italian crimes and mysteries, including the murders of journalist Mino Pecorelli and corruption cases within the nationwide bribe scandal um, Tanto Tepoli. I don't know what that is. Every um, time you're saying it, I'm just picturing like from Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's a bit of... Uh, P2 came to light through investigations into the collapse of Michel Sindano's uh, financial empire. P2 was sometimes referred to as a state within a state or a shadow government. The Lodge had among its members prominent journalists, members of parliament, industrialists, and military leaders, including multi-time Italian prime minister and gigantic arsehole Silvio Berlusconi. Uh, <laughs> the Savoy pretender to the Italian throne, Victor Emmanuel, so a pseudo-royal, and the heads, and this is the really cool, well, disturbing part, the heads of all three Italian intelligence services, so all of them were oh. part of this Masonic Lodge. That's wow. fucking scary. Um, oh, no. Yeah. That makes uh, me skin itchy. Yeah, that's like, okay, you've got to have all these people in the same room. I mean, Berlusconi wasn't prime minister at this point, but he was like, he was really up there in Italian politics. He was like the right hand of, you know, leadership at that point. Right. When searching Jelly's villa, I just can't get over his name, Jelly. <laughs> Uh, in 1982, police found a document entitled Plan for Democratic Rebirth, which called for a consolidation of the media, suppression of trade unions, and the rewriting of the Italian constitution. Fucking dodgy. That <laughs> sounds familiar, though. Yeah, it's basically the Unabomber, only there's more of them. It's like multiple Unabombers oh, in one place. I have a manifesto for you, and everyone doesn't get to be part of a trade union, and I control the media. Are you on board with that? Okay, sure. Um, um, so, yeah, God. A whole group kind of, of people like that. I know. And then it gets worse. Outside of Italy, P2 was also active in Uruguay, Brazil, and Argentina. Amongst its Argentine members uh, were Raul Alberto Lastiri, who was briefly interim president of the country after the end of the self-styled Argentine Argentine Revolution dictatorship of 1963 to 73, uh, 66 to 73. Emil, uh, Emiliano Macera, who was part of the military junta led by Rafael Videla during Italy, uh, Argentina's last civil uh, military dictatorship around about uh, 76 to 83. Josep Lopez Rega, who was the Minister of Social Welfare for a couple of years and the founder of the military organization Argentine Anti-Communist Alliance and general and convicted murderer Guillermo Soares Maison. <sighs> Scary fucking wow. people. Yeah. They're just and oh also mafia. That's... Fuck loads of mafiosa. So God. all in yeah. one room, having a bit of a beer. 
kicking here's back. A, here's a group of people you don't want to fuck with. Love, yeah, these charitable uh, and pious of organization people. Yeah, and he's in there going, "Oh, I'm part of this lodge. Oh, you know, you guys are all military guys, you mafia guys. Some of you are priests. Some of you are politicians. Do you know what I'm good at? I can manage money." Give me your money. I'll manage it. That's totally fine. I'm trustworthy. <laughs> I'm part of a pious organization. Give me all of your money. Um, <laughs> in 1978, the Bank of Italy produced a report that uh, found that Ambrosiano, uh, several billion lira, which is like a few million dollars, had been um, exported illegally. Le uh, leading to criminal investigations. Calvi was tried in 1981, given a four-year suspended sentence and fined 19.8 million US dollars for transferring 27 million US dollars out of the country in violation of Italian currency laws. The controversy surrounding Calvi's dealings at Banco Ambrosiano echoed a scandal in 1974 when the Holy See, which the Vatican, lost an estimated 30 million US dollars upon the collapse of the Franklin National Bank owned by financier Michel Sindano, and he's linked to this scandal as well. Bad loans oh. and foreign currency transa transactions led to the collapse of the bank. Sindano died in prison after drinking coffee laced with cyanide. Because that's what happens when you jack people's money. Yeah. And don't fake your death and disappear. Yeah. But also... <laughs> <laughs> how uh, how did uh, how did cyanide end up inside prison? That's not the kind of thing that you can oh, sneak you into would... prison, is it? I wonder if he met a similar fate to a famous person who rhymes with Schmepstein. Who, um, who never hung himself. Who never hung, never fucking hung himself. Speaking of which, uh, Calvi wrote a letter <laughs> of warning to Pope John Paul II on the fifth of June, nineteen eighty-two, two weeks before the collapse of Banco Ambrosiano, uh, stating that such an event would provoke a catastrophic uh, catastrophe of unimaginable proportions in which the church will suffer the gravest damage. That's a fucking threat, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a fucking threat. Just no doubt about it. That's a full-on threat. Calvi then went on to tell his daughter after he was released, the priests must face up to their obligations or I will be forced to expose them. Definitely a threat. Ooh. Um, Priests don't like being exposed. It's not. It's not uh, you sure about a lot that? of that reason. Uh, well, in certain <laughs> circumstances, in uh, the correspondence, uh, the correspondence confirmed that illegal transactions were common knowledge among the top affiliates of the bank and the Vatican. Banco Ambrosiano collapsed in June 1982 following the discovery of debts between 700 million and 1.5 billion US dollars. This is 1982. That's a shit ton of money. That's a shit ton of money. That's like GDP money these days. That's the yeah. fuckload of money. Uh, much of the money had been siphoned off through the Vatican Bank. They're cleaning it through the Vatican, which owned 10% of Banco Ambrosiano and was the main shareholder. In 1984, the Vatican Bank agreed to pay 224 million US dollars, nowhere near the amount it should have, to 120 of Banco Ambrosiano's creditors as a recognition of moral involvement in the bank's collapse. Classy. That's super like, yeah, sorry, we're the church. We, we hold moral accountability. Sorry. Um, Here's 1% of your money back. 
Yeah, here's a little bit of your money back. <laughs> we we sold off some holdings. Don't don't. Yeah, there won't be any more scandals from us. Don't worry. Um, it was. <laughs> it has never been confirmed whether the Vatican Bank was directly involved in the scandal due to a lack of evidence in the subpoenaed correspondence, which only revealed that Calvi consistently supported the Vatican's religious agenda. Calvi committed the crime of fiscal misconduct, and there was no evidence of the church involvement otherwise. So the Vatican was granted immunity. Hmm. Of course it was. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it there. My wife's Catholic. I don't want to get myself in trouble. In 1981, the police raided the office of P2, the Masonic Lodge, to apprehend the worshipful master, get in a bin, um, Licio Gelli, and uncovered further evidence against Roberto Calvi. He was then rearrested, put on trial, and sentenced to four years in prison. However, this is fucking Italian justice. He was released pending an appeal and uh, retained his position at the bank. He still worked what? at this. What I know, he still worked at the bank until it collapsed because he was waiting retrial. And like I'm an innocent man because I'm getting a retrial, and he's out wandering the streets with all of this information on the church, the mafia politicians priests people in south america dodgy fuckers over in the caribbean yeah, yeah. i wonder what he'll do i wonder what'll happen um so uh let's see where am i oh, i lost my spot other alarming developments followed mm -hmm. carlo di benedetti of uh olivetti bought into the bank and became deputy chairman only to leave two months later after receiving mafia threats and a lack of cooperation from Calvi, who's just sitting in his office smoking. It's like, <laughs> I'm going to prison for four years. <sighs> I can't do anything about it. The fucking Italy. You know, you get a new chairman and he's chased out of his job in two months because of threats. That's his, crazy. It gets worse. His replacement, a longtime employee named Roberto Rossoni, uh, was wounded in a mafia shooting incident. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> like, he didn't even get through the door and they're gunning this fucker down. Uh, wow. The criminal organization responsible for the shooting was the Magliana Gang, which had taken over Rome's underworld in the late 1970s and has been related to various political events in uh, a period in Italian history known as Years of Lead. So... I know. I wonder what that could reference. I know. It's like when you hear about, oh, what period in history shall we study? Like there's, sometimes there's ambiguity. Like, oh, the Baroque era. Oh, I wonder what that's not really that descriptive. Like the Renaissance, you're like, oh, okay, rebirth. Sure. Okay. The years of lead. Right. That's about killings. Let's have a look into that. That sounds interesting. <laughs> um, in 1982, it was discovered that the bank was unable to account for 1.287 billion US dollars. That's Oops. the equivalent. Of three point four five billion in present day terms. Oh, That's God. they're just fuck. like whoops. Where it's just gone. Who knows where it is? Anyone's guess. Maybe it's <laughs> disappeared into Sicily. Calvi's personal secretary, Graciela, sorry, Graciela Coracher, wrote uh, a letter denouncing Calvi before leaping to her death from her office window. Hmm. hmm. Well. Mm. Is it a, is it is it another? Mm, I I'm starting to think now. Everyone close to this guy is either raided by the police or they're dying quite a lot or getting shot at or chased off or whatever mm. it is. 
who and, and I understand, you know, people react in different ways. Who writes a suicide note and then jumps out of their office window? I don't buy that. Who shows up to work, right? Gets dressed in the morning, has breakfast, goes into work, writes a suicide note and then jumps out of the window. It doesn't happen. That mm. poor woman was thrown. I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, I think they should check her her hands before. During uh, July 1982, funds to the offshore interest were cut off, leading to their collapse. And in August, the bank was replaced by Nuevo Banco Ambrosiano. Why would they stick with Ambrosiano? They just said the new one. The the new one. Like, change the fucking name, for God's sake. Sellafield did after they dumped a load of fucking nuclear waste in UK oceans. You don't stick with the old name. What's wrong with you? Um... (laughs) Pope John Paul II pledged full transparency regarding the bank's links to the Vatican and brought in lay bankers, including German financial expert Hermann Abs, to prove that he was above board and no more, no more scandals were going to take place and there was going to be no more dodginess in the Vatican's handling of money and it was all going to be above board. The only problem was uh, uh, the move was publicly criticised by Simon Wiestel, um, who was a journalist, because Hermann Abs uh, was a top banker for Nazi Germany from 1938 to 1945. Kind of oh. a bad move oh. there, John. Uh, maybe don't hire a Nazi as your chief bank guy if you're trying to do transparency. That's that's not a good move. When was um, this? Sorry, what year was this? This is like yeah. 1982. 1982. When did yeah. the Pope get shot at? Um, Probably around this time, actually. Yeah, hmm. it wouldn't have been too. It was either then or like a couple of years later. So it was. His Sorry, I'm adding was, in my own conspiracy. No, no, no. <laughs> I, you know, you might not be wrong because uh, there's a there's a lot of involvement here, and a lot of people are dying um, and getting shot in, at and getting shot at. So you know, it's not out of the realms of possibility. Um, in April 1992, Carlo Di Bonedetti, former deputy chairman of Banco Ambrosiano, and 32 others were convicted of fraud by a Milanese court in connection with the bank's collapse. Benedetti was sentenced to six years and four months in prison, but the sentence was overturned in April 1998 by the Court of Cessation. But he'd served like four years at that point, so he would have been out anyway, more or less. So. Um, yeah, and in 1994, former Socialist Prime Minister Bettina Craxi was indicted to the Banco Ambrosiano case, um, along with Licio Gelli from P2, um, <laughs> and former Justice Minister Claudio Marti- Martelli. Uh, in April 1998, the Court of Secession confirmed a 12-year sentence to Licio Gelli for the Ambrosiano crash. So P2 guy is now, well probably out of prison now. He would have been out of prison in 2010 uh, at the latest. But yeah, anyway, you're probably thinking, what's going on with Roberta Calvi, right? Yeah. All these people dying around him or disappearing or writing suicide notes before jumping jollily out of their office window. Um, yeah, let's catch up with Roberta Calvi, shall we? Uh, Calvi went missing from his Rome apartment on 10th of June, 1982, having fled the country on a false passport under the name Gian Roberto Calvi. Oh, come on. So oh, you know he put a word in front of his name. How would they? It's and like a fucking fake mustache. That's Boom. ridiculous. I, yeah. I can't believe Italy. Come on, guys. Get your shit together. This is ridiculous. He initially fled to Venice. From there, he apparently hired a private plane 
to London via Zurich. Um, a postal clerk was crossing London's. Uh, okay, so he's got to London, right? Okay. He has. He got there through an accountant who kind of helped him get out there as like a favor. And at this point, Calvi is saying to people, "I can rescue this." He's telling his family he can rescue this. He's telling other people that he's still in contact with. There's something in London that I can do that will fix everything. I've got a contact there. They're going to pay off all the debts. They're going to set up a new system. They're going to clear my name. I have evidence. And apparently, he's boarding all of these flights. He's handcuffed to a briefcase, right? <laughs> While he's in London, in hiding out in Chelsea, living with a drug dealer, of all people, in a really shitty Chelsea flat, <laughs> this thing never leaves his side. This briefcase full okay. of documents and a bit of money, never, ever leaves his side. Okay? Keep that in mind. All right. A postal clerk was crossing London's Blackfriars Bridge at 7.30 a.m. on Friday the 18th of June, 1982, and noticed Calvi's body hanging from the scaffolding beneath the bridge. Calvi's clothing was stuffed with bricks, and he was carrying around 15,000 U.S. dollars in cash in three different currencies. Calvi, uh, yeah, sorry. Okay, Calvi was a member of Liciano's Liciano Jelly's illegal Masonic Lodge P2, who referred to themselves as Fratiri, uh, sorry, Frati Neri. Do you know what that translates to? I do not. Black Friars. Oh. And he was found hanging under Black Friars Bridge With in London. Bricks stuffed in his clothing. With bricks stuffed in his as pockets. You do, also, you know. As you do. Now, it's worth pointing out. Now, I, I can't pull up a picture because I should have thought about it in advance about Blackfriars Bridge and how it looks. Um, it's quite an iconic London bridge. There's a lot of them. There's a lot. Of, it's not quite, um, you know, Tower Bridge. It's not that famous. Or London Bridge that was bought by, you know, a, a Texas businessman because he thought he was buying Tower Bridge. But, you know, we won't get into that. Hey, uh, it's over here. Bridge, it's over there. Yeah, you can go visit it. Um yeah. Blackfriars Bridge is kind of a cool thing, mostly because it's quite an early bridge. It was uh, part of the Industrial Revolution, and it's got really ornate ironwork underneath it. The bridge is about 18 meters above the water at high tide. So that's, okay. a, is it 18 meters? I think it's 18 meters. So that's a significant distance from there. Now, at the time, there was scaffolding because they were doing, they were repainting it and stuff like that, because obviously it, it warps and changes with time and you have to repaint it. Um, and the, the conclusion that is brought is that he climbed along the scaffolding and hung himself with bricks in his pocket, full dress, uh, loads of cash. No sign of his briefcase. This is the uh... this is the initial thing. Yeah, that's really interesting. This is a man who at this point is in his 60s, he's massively overweight, like 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 really badly overweight. He's constantly paranoid. He is out of shape. It's not It's not easy to climb over scaffolding when you don't have access to the internal workings of it, which he didn't. He would have had to climb, you know, like Spider-Man down this right. fucking thing and then get to the middle of the bridge, tie a noose around his neck, tie it to the bridge and fly off and break his neck and die, right? right. I'm not buying that story. This is where the conspiracy comes in. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, because I'm kind of picturing him. I'm like trying to monkey bar over yeah. and across under the bridge, and the damn yeah. briefcase is getting in the way. So you got to take that off. Yeah, and yeah. Then he was. He would have had to have been hanging, monkey bar style, yeah. wrapping the noose, so around. wrapping the noose around his neck, 
and attach it to the bridge, uh -huh. make sure it was really fully tied. Um, I don't buy that for a second, but everybody did at the time. <laughs> so, including the London police, I don't want to point any <laughs> fingers, but a lot of police officers in this country kind of have fun in Masonic lodges a lot of the time. Oh. Um, anyway, let's get back to the official report here, right? Okay. Calvi was, uh, yeah, we've talked about that, Blackfriars. The day before his body was found, Calvi was stripped of his post at Banco Embraciano by the Bank of Italy, and his private secretary uh, jumped to her death, as we've uh, noted from a fifth floor window at the bank's headquarters. Um, she left behind an angry note condem condemning his actions. Um, her death was ruled a suicide, so you can fuck right off with that. Calvi's death was the subject of two coroner's inquests in London, which is really rare because coroners in this country hold an awful lot of power. You do not fuck with coroners. They're very, very intense, diligent, accurate people. There's one thing you can count on is that they rarely make mistakes. So to get two is kind of interesting. Right. Uh, uh, the Calvi family then secured the services of George Carmen QC, the second inquest was held in July 1983, and the jury recorded an open verdict, so uh, indicating that the court had been unable to determine the cause of death. Now, they, the Kelvies family, were like, it, it was murder, right? <laughs> and initially, it was ruled as suicide, but very quickly, they were like, it's an open verdict because they just can't see this 60 something year old guy in full, like dress like suit tie right shoes overweight just doing that and also like apparently when they looked at like because the scaffolding itself had paint on it from wet paint from oh, yeah. the painting they were doing right um it was just covered in the stuff just just wet paint everywhere on the scaffolding if he'd climbed down these poles some of the wet paint the flecks of the wet paint would have gotten on his shoes none none there was nothing on his shoes not Almost a smidge of this pain. Walk under there at all because he was thrown, and it probably <laughs> wasn't his choice. Um, in 1991, the Calvi family commissioned the New York-based investigation company Kroll Associates to investigate the circumstances of Calvi's death. The case was assigned to Jeff Katz. Uh, that rings a bell. That name for some reason. I remember cartoon. Um, that's the only reason. <laughs> for me <laughs> maybe yeah maybe that's what i'm thinking of as well uh who was a senior case manager for the company in london as part of his two-year investigation katz hired a former home office forensic scientist angela gallup to undertake forensic testing she found that calvi could not have hung himself from the scaffolding because the lack of paint rust on his shoes as i've just mentioned proved that he had not walked on the scaffolding and there's no fucking way he's jeff hardying his way off the top of the bridge <laughs> and snapping his neck in the brain. It's just not happening. In oh, October man. 1992, the forensic report was submitted to the Home Secretary and the City of London Police, who dismissed it. Because, of course, they did. Uh, Be well, do you remember what I said? Police, Masons. Yeah. Had nothing to do with the P2 or the documents that he had about the people in the Masons Lodge and the P2. Yeah, and the connections to mafia and probably people who've got holdings in london and blah, 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 you know gotcha dodgy. yeah dodgy uh calvi's body was exhumed in december 1998 and an italian court commissioned a german forensic scientist this time to repeat the work produced by katz and his forensic team the report was published in october 2002 10 years after the original 
and confirmed the first report. In addition, it said the injuries to Calvi's neck were inconsistent with hanging and that he had not touched the bricks found in his pockets. So how the fuck hmm. did they get there? Um, hmm. Magic. <laughs> yeah, it, it couldn't have anything to do with like uh, maybe a connection. He went to London to blackmail, uh, yeah. not liking it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so let me see. Uh, in addition, they said they were not consistent. Uh, when his body was found, the River Thames had receded with the tide, but the scaffolding could have been reached by a person standing in a boat at the time of the hanging. Okay. Yeah. So uh, that had also um, that had also been the conclusion of a separate report by Katz in 1992, which also detailed a reconstruction based on Calvi's last known movements in London and theorised that he had been taken by boat from a point to access the Thames in West London. This aspect of Calvi's death was the focus of the theory that he was murdered. I mean, yeah, he was. Um, and is the version of events depicted in Giuseppe Ferreira's uh, film Reconstruction of the Events. In September 2003, the City of London police reopened the investigation as a murder inquiry. More evidence arose, revealing that Calvi stayed in a flat in Chelsea Cloisters just prior to his death. Sergio Vaccari was a small-time drug dealer who had stayed in the same flat. <clears throat> Here we go. And he was found dead. Not just found dead. I mean, he's a drug dealer. Drug dealers die. They do. But there's got another guy connected to Calvi who's turned up dead. He was found dead and in possession of Masonic papers displaying member names of P2. Oh. So. He screwed over his roommate by telling him, here, hold on to this for a second. If yeah. anything happens to me. Yeah. And then this guy ends up dying. The murders of both Calvi and Vicari involved bricks stuffed in their clothing. This is so mafia. Uh, correlating <laughs> to the deaths and confirmed Calvi ties to the bridge. I mean, that's that's your smoking gun, right? This is just like they've got evidence found at the scene that links them to this disgraced Masonic Lodge. Calvi's life was insured for 10 million US dollars. His family's attempts to obtain a payout resulted in litigation. The forensic report of 2002 established that Calvi had been murdered and the policy was finally settled. Although around half of the sum was paid to creditors of the Calvi family, who um, they'd incurred a significant amount of debt trying to prove that he'd been murdered. And I can't say I blame them. You know, it's like 20 years of trying to prove that your father, your your, your husband, whatever, had been murdered. Like, that's going to cost you a lot of money. So oh, yeah. at least they got $5 million out of it, you know? Yeah, Something. I didn't know that they paid out on murder. Now I'm nervous. I'm going to go cancel my my, my life insurance. <laughs> I guess it's under certain circumstances, but when it's a pretty obviously a mafia hit, then I'm sure you're probably all right to get your money, you know? But Okay. <laughs> uh, now let's talk about the trials surrounding his murder. Um, in 2005, the Italian magistrates investigating Calvi's death took their inquiries to London in order to question witnesses. They had been cooperating with Chief Superintendent Trevor Smith, who built his case Partly on evidence provided by Katz, the original investigator, Smith had been able to make the first arrest of a UK witness who had allegedly committed perjury during the Calvi inquest. On the 5th of October 2005, the trial began in Rome of the five individuals charged with Calvi's murder. The defendants were called Calo Carboni, Klitsizik, Ernest Diotelvi, 
and Calvi's former driver and bodyguard, Silvano Vittor. That's interesting. Uh, the tr- that's probably the person they used to get him. Like, oh, it's my friend. I'll, I'll be safe here. You know, that's, yeah. that's what that is. The trial took place in a specific, especially fortified courtroom in Rome's Rebidia prison. So they're, they're so worried about this. They're actually holding it inside a prison in a fortified courtroom. Holy shit. I feel like the mafia might be out of control at this point in time. I think in Italy. so. <laughs> and this is 2005. This isn't like, oh, this is, oh, this is so dodgy in the 50s. This is recent. This is I most take that back. This time. is real. Like, he shouldn't have killed himself like that. And mafia <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, no, no. He definitely killed himself. We're very sorry if we've offended the people of. <laughs> Napoli. Uh, in 2005, the trial began. Um, all five were cleared of murdering Calvi on 6th of June 2007. <laughs> Judge Mario Lucia, Lucio D'Andrea threw out the charges, citing insufficient evidence after hearing <laughs> 20 months of evidence. Still not enough. You gotta have two full years, twenty-four yeah, months. No, it's got to be twenty-four months, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's the threshold, isn't it? <laughs> Fucking hell! The court ruled that Calvi's death was murder and not suicide. Well, I mean, shit. Yeah, of course. Um, the defense suggested that there were plenty of people with a motive for Calvi's murder. Fuck, yeah, fuck, yes, pretty much half the planet at this point, apparently, um, including Vatican officials. They, they actually, the defense suggested that the Vatican were involved and mafia figures who wanted to ensure his silence. Yep. Legal experts following the trial said the prosecutors found it hard to present a convincing case due to the 25 years that had elapsed since Calvi's death. Additionally, key witnesses were unwilling to testify, untraceable, or had been murdered. No surprises there. Fucking hell. The prosecution called for Manuela Kleisig to be cleared, stating that there was insufficient evidence against her but they sought life sentences for the other four men. Um, Katz claimed that he was likely uh, that it was likely senior figures in Italian establishment had escaped prosecution as a result of the numerous murders. The the quote is: "The problem is that the people who probably actually ordered the death of Calvi are not in the dock. But to get to those people might be very difficult indeed because everyone's dead." Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Kat said it was probably true that the Mafia carried out the killing, but that the gangsters suspected of the crime were either dead or missing. The verdict in the trial was not uh, the end of the matter, since the prosecutor's office in Rome had opened a set- second investigation by June 2007, implicating Jelly and others from P2. Um, in 2009, the prosecution dropped the case against Jelly. According to the magistrate, there was insufficient evidence, again, to argue that Jelly had played a role in planning and executing the crime. On the 7th of May 2010, the Court of Appeals confirmed the acquittal of Calo, Carboni, and Dio Tavelli. Public prosecutor Luca Tescarelli commented that Calvi has been murdered for the second time. Yes, he has. <laughs> um, on the 18th of November 2011, the Court of Secession. Uh, confirmed the acquittal. Callow is still serving a life sentence, however, on unrelated mafia charges. There's a shocker. And that's the end, currently, of the Roberto Calvi God's Banker murder. I have two questions for you, Derek. First of all, how big of an idiot was Roberto Roberto Calvi to get involved with the shadiest people in the world and then to fucking run off with their money? But also, 
Um, I have to ask you, who do you think had him killed? And I'm not asking who killed him. I'm asking who had him killed. Man. Um, that's something, that story. Fuck me. God, there's so much in that story. Like, I know. He literally got involved with all of yeah. the shadiest people that he possibly could. The entire underworld. He's like, yeah. I'll look after your money. What are you doing? Yeah. You're not even that good. <laughs> well, it's it's hard to get away and escape like yeah. Rouge if you're not yeah. taking it from people that will spend billions to come and get you. Exactly. And right. this guy seemed like he was went right to him. Like yeah. he thought he was untouchable. And that makes him a special kind of idiot. Oh God, yes. This guy and like <laughs> I understand like it's the early eighties. It's kind of it's a lot easier to disappear. You fake a really bad passport, apparently, and you're gone. But like yeah. these, these are incredibly well. I mean, literally, the Pope is involved in stages of this. These are incredibly well connected people, faux royalty, mafiosa people who have got connections everywhere. This is not something you can run from. No, no, <laughs> not not fast enough. Anyway, no. not no. with bricks in your clothes. No. Who's running with that? <laughs> um, he has he is extraordinarily stupid as mm. far as um, God. He thought a lot of himself, I think, to be able yeah. to get involved with those people and mm-hmm. just on like just brazenly not give a fuck, try to get away. And yeah. then go, you know what? I'm going to make it better by <laughs> look, I've got stuff that you don't want to get out. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah. Ah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't uh, know. Whenever you look in, into a conspiracy that's like vaguely plausible, there's always like, or a film based on a conspiracy that's vaguely plausible, there's always one person that always says, "Oh, I've got information. I've got yeah. information that could blow this whole case wide open." And five minutes later, they're dead. Right? Yep. It's just yep. the way this shit goes. You now. Know? Who killed him? Who had him killed? Who ordered that? Yeah. Who was the scariest person in the London area at that time? Or in Mafia at that time? Well, Or the Pope? But I, I don't think Pope, Pope John yeah. Paul would have done that. because I don't seen... think Pope, the Pope would have been involved in it. I think he probably would have been like, I trusted these people to manage money, and this person fucked me over, and this person fucked me over, and blah, 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 and transparency. I'm going to hire a Nazi to look after the money. Um, you know, it's <laughs> like <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think the Pope's directly involved in this at all. I don't think certain high-ranking uh, Vatican officials are involved in it. I certainly think they're involved in. Ooh, let's make as much money as possible. Uh, don't ask any questions. You know, I think that's probably what happened a lot there. And this banker comes to you and he's like, hey, I'm con- I'm in this bank. I'm connected to this person and this person. And we've got ties to this country and this presidency and right. this dictator and stuff. And they're like, OK, so you have connections to governments and you have access to this. And like, OK, fair enough. So I- I'm not 100 percent convinced that the Vatican had him killed. I think it's more likely that the Masonic Lodge full of politicians and Secret Service people who he had dirt on probably had him killed, for sure. And I, f- yeah, the three heads of the intelligence communities over there. Yeah, I mean, he ain't getting away. Definitely not getting away. Yeah, no, they are um, tracking him the second he steps out of his fucking door. And Never I guarantee they got their money back. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, extra, extra <laughs> huge high points. Just 
because of actual stupid, in my opinion. Yeah. And I don't want to speak ill of the dead because he did get himself no. whacked, but hmm. just kind of that was he did that though. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 so it's something that I was always aware of. It's it's when you hear uh, it, like you don't hear say you don't hear all that information, right? You hear Italian banker is involved with the Masons and corrupt politicians and the Vatican and money laundering runs away with money and ends up murdered under a bridge in London. Mm -hmm. Like that's and I used to like walk across like get the train across I think the train goes across it Blackfriars Bridge and I, I would always say to my wife like there was an Italian banker hanging from there a, a couple of years 20 years ago and it's like it's such a weird thing like when we heard of the Salisbury poisonings of this former KGB agent and his daughter in, in Salisbury and everything and there were two Russian tourists who just happened to show up and then they did an interview on Russian TV where they're like oh we wanted to see the famous Lincoln Cathedral because it's so it's Salisbury Cathedral it's such a we're such history fans they're like weren't you like part of the FSB aren't you basically spies like no no that why did you travel under funny names like when you hear of something like that happening you know someone hung under a bridge in London, it's so dark, and you're like, "Oh my god, this is not a cons this is this guy did not kill himself. You're going to kill yourself. You don't do that, right? This right. is a message to people. Yeah, don't steal our money, and then if you do, don't try to blackmail your way out of it because we will kill you. <laughs> not, so, that, I'm not saying that because I will. No, no, we're, he killed himself <laughs> for sure. Um, so, what do you think, Roberto Calvi scores? Wise. I'm, I'm going to go with an even 90 on it just because mm. you got to be out of your mind <laughs> to get involved with those people and try to rip them off. I know. And then, and, and but like rip them off. That's fine. Right. Like, cause we've talked about people who've like getting involved with dangerous stuff and rip people off and then just gone. Right. Yeah. This guy would have been better. Yeah. He didn't. He was like, uh, he sent a letter to the Pope. He was like, <laughs> oh, you should be really careful, you know? And then like, he's telling his daughter, he's giving interviews yeah so not, stupid not yeah totally the oh yeah what a <laughs> dumbass i know um special kind of arrogant dumbass as well there's I mean, the I, word i was looking for yeah <laughs> special kind of idiot right there actually it's interesting because in researching this i was uh his son's obviously involved in kind of clearing not clearing his name because he did this shit but like making sure that people know that he was murdered probably by very powerful people and one of the things his son talks about is just how intensely paranoid he was towards the end of his life. Apparently not enough is, right. is the answer to it. But like his every waking moment was looking over his shoulder, blabbing to anyone that would listen and yeah. making sure that everyone knew like priests and this, and I was involved with this and Silvio Berlusconi was there and all It's like, it's definitely smacks of Epstein level conspiracy stuff, you know? Yeah. So um, thank you for that. 90 for God's banker, Roberto Calvi, who ended up dead under Blackfriars Bridge on a summer's morning in 1982. And um, an 82 for um, the doctor of um, crypto theft who has disappeared <laughs> into the ether with billions of dollars of other people's money. Just guys, look, there are some cryptos you can invest in. And then there is like, crypto scams right there's a lot of crypto scams out there you're a probably lot. pretty safe with things like 
Bitcoin, Ethereum, you know, you probably maybe Doge, you know, there there are some that are out there that's generally okay. You're gonna lose money probably yeah. because these things go up and down like fucking yo-yos, but like um you know you will kind of be okay with them just like if you see a youtuber or someone pimping the latest coin it's probably a pump and dump so do not get involved with those you will lose money even if you drop a hundred dollars you're never seeing that money again spend it on food or or a scratcher ticket yeah or like half a tank of petrol you know something like that you know fill up half of your car (laughs) With fuel for a hundred dollars, yeah. It's, so yeah, I think this is a really interesting one because this has been a financial episode, kind of coincidentally, ironically. But the lesson I guess from this is don't trust people who offer too much, right? The the mafia, all of these people, the, all the dodgy people, like we're going to give this one guy access to all of our money, and all of the people involved in the one coin thing were like oh right i can make money it's crypto it's it's kind of like an emerging thing i can probably make loads of money and and also i can get other people involved and they can make money no if you want to look after your friends either buy them presents or get them jobs those are the two (laughs) ways you look after your friends don't get them involved in your multi-level marketing scheme so i think the point is if something feels good too good to be true financially it almost always is just just be careful with your money folks holy shit how did you find researching this episode um i actually i had a lot of trouble and i had to oh. bounce around to some german uh newspaper sources oh wow and my german's horrible so i had to google translate it and that sounded <laughs> sure. ridiculous yeah but google i got the gist yeah <laughs> that's that's really interesting that there's not a huge amount of coverage even though you found out about it in a documentary you had to go to non english-speaking sources to get the really interesting information that's in itself is fascinating that's i'm finding a lot with most of the diving into things i get the same regurgitated talking points Mm -hmm. on all the same articles on on everything that's out there it's it's the same exact point. She was born in Bulgaria, then she moved to yeah. Germany, and then she went to here. And then yeah. some of them, you know, like the sun, they sensationalize. She was yeah. beautiful and gorgeous, and that's how she got them. And it's like, uh, yeah. It's so fucking stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that. And actually, this is this is typical, and this is something that you see in court trials. Like, let's say it's not a massive story, right? So it's not like, you know, a trial of the century type thing. There might only be one reporter present in the actual courtroom itself because everyone else has got other shit to do, right? So right. every piece of information that comes out of that trial through the press is coming from this one person whose interpretation might be vastly different from the reality of the situation. So, you know, a lot of the stuff you read, it's always secondhand and then it's cribbed from one source, usually, or maybe two if you're lucky. Right, and if they got to ask any questions, if they were horseshit at asking questions, you yeah. get really dumb clickbaity talking points that everybody latches onto. And exactly, yeah, it's 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 infuriating actually. The you know transcripts aren't as open as they should be, but this is the world we live in. But well done on researching that because I I had genuinely never heard of that person. I was aware of some crypto scams, but not many because I've just kind of like not really been involved with that world until recently where i bought like a few bitcoins and one ethereum whatever but um the roberta calvi thing was always lingering around i was like should i cover it should i not so i I didn't really think i was like 
he was murdered, right? He was a banker. He fled. Like, does he count as an idiot? Was my first thought. And then I looked into it and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. big time. Because he thought he could get away with robbing people that were incredibly dangerous. So, yeah, really stupid guy. Yeah. Um, so and I had a lot of fun researching it. <laughs> that's kind of the difference of I feel like yeah. mine was an idiot because she's more of an asshole yeah. that robbed people, sure. genuine yeah. people. And exactly. I feel like he's an idiot because he tried to rob some dangerous, scary ass people and yeah. get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. His was more complex, but way more dangerous. Whereas hers was very simple. Uh, mean. But, uh, but mean, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Like really kind of just straightforward exploiting people, which is just horrible. So anyway, that's that's our show um, for this week. I've had a really, I've had so much fun doing this. I always do. Um, if you want to follow us on social media, uh, social medias are at Greatest Idiots on Twitter and at History's Greatest Idiots on our really amazing Instagram account. I really love that. And if you want to be a patron of ours, a Patreon, please go to patreon.com slash History's Greatest Idiots. Derek, you, you were going to say something there. Yeah, I think that they definitely need to follow you on Instagram because your trolling of <laughs> bots is amazing. I enjoy trolling bots. It's like it's become <laughs> one of my favorite pastimes. They offer me thousands of pounds and I just don't want it. I just want to <laughs> take up as much of their time as possible to fuck yes. these people. But uh, what's the number in the green circle? Uh, it's a thousand. No, wait, sorry, <laughs> 20. 20, that's the number because, yeah, that's it. The green set, wait, but I only see a rectangle, but it's not green, it's blue. And it's like, I'm taking up so much of your time, it's probably driving you mad. Uh, <laughs> I love fucking with them. Anyway, awesome. um, until uh, two weeks' time, Derek, would you like to say goodbye? Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you again in a fortnight. Take care now. Bye. <laughs>